Kia ora and welcome to this episode of The Image Austenite. I'm Frances Duncan, author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My guests today are Jessamyn Lee and Letitia Julian of Rational Creatures fame. I'm so excited that they've joined me here. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Jessamyn and I am one of the co-creators of Rational Creatures, which means I did a little bit of almost everything behind the scenes, writing, directing, all that good stuff. I'm Leticia Julian. I was one of the actors in the show. I played Charlie. And today we're going to be assessing episodes three and four of Rational Creatures, which I will very definitely have the link in the notes to so you can go and watch it. It's been a while. It was really good to rewatch, and there's so much that I missed the first time I watched it. Episode three is the first vlog from seven years ago. Anna gives Fred his birthday present, which is a compass and a card, and they're very cute and in love and awkward, and it's gorgeous, and then they make out a little bit. And <laughs> quite, a, quite a bit. Yeah. It's been, every time I watch it, I'm like, man, this goes on for a long time. <laughs> I love how you... They managed to capture the teenageness of it, though. They're so awkward, and they look different, too. I think the real key to that was that Peter shaved his beard off, and all of a sudden, he looked 10-plus years younger. And we did style. We were aiming for... The characters were roughly the same age as us, so it was like, oh, remember what we looked like senior year in high school, 2011-ish? Because at the time... That's not seven years ago now, but at the time we were making it, it was before there was a pandemic. So we had fun trying to style them up. I liked Peter's hoodie that he had. That striped hoodie was like, actually, he still had it from back then. And I was like, yes, that's perfect. That's awesome. And the card makes an appearance. She gives him a birthday card, which then ties into episode four, because Mm -hmm. his sister gives him a box of random stuff from their parents, and it has the card. He doesn't need to say much or do much, just look at the front and you open it and the music, but then everybody appears. And Episode four is the wine party, where in theory they're supposed to meet for the first time, but it doesn't happen when I say the first time, the first time in seven, eight years. Seven years. Yeah. Seven years established by the... Uh, yeah, seven, eight. That, that might be a slight continuity error. Don't tell, me, don't tell anyone. Because <laughs> Sophie's having a wine and cheese party, and Marisol and Charlie live in the same building as her, and Anna currently living with them. So they're all invited, and Charlie brings her siblings, Henrietta and Lois, and Lois's very much in love with him. He's very unaware of it. Roommate Ben. And Lewis is adorable and awkward and fangirls all over Fred and they have a flirty thing. And Anya, I think Anya probably has the best time, to be fair. Who would not choose a blanket fort and a dog and books to a party with people? (laughs) It's pretty great, yeah. It looks very (laughs) cosy. So this obviously mirrors the, the part where there's the dinner at the great house. And stays home to look after the injured son. But in this time, it's the dog, which was very cute. Also, I thought it was very Disney princess of her to be talking to the dog. Uh, That's never occurred to me that it was so Disney princess. It was kind of our device to get in Anna's head. Because the book is so introspective. And Anna is such an introspective character that we were like, we can't have her like talking about her feelings to other people all the time. <laughs> but maybe we can sometimes get some of them out if she talks to a dog and no one else is around. 
So that was kind of the thinking there. But Disney Princess, that's so true. Little woodland creatures. <laughs> that's always been one of the issues with adapting persuasion, particularly for the vlog format, because she's not the sort mm-hmm. of person that would have vlogs, but you've done it in such a way with this that she can still be awkward and quiet, but still do a little bit of, of the vlog thing, which I think it works. But it's not something that you'd normally think. Of course, they completely threw it on its head in the 2022 persuasion where she talks to the camera and is all sassy. And yeah, it's a bit of a different take. It's <laughs> quite different from Book Anna. I don't like to be too hard on that movie. There was choices I liked and a lot I didn't like, but, you know, they did what they did. Letitia, what do you remember about filming your first season? Well, I feel like I have two stories I usually tell about season one. But I do, overall, I just remember being a lot of fun. Just getting a chance to just hang out with all the people, especially filming episode four with the wine and cheese party. Just getting to just, like, be in that big group and sort of milling around was really great. The one story I tell a lot about season one is I lost my voice the day before we started filming. And so if you listen to Charlie in season one versus the second season we filmed, it's a lot more gravelly. It's got a little bit of a smoker's voice going on. Um, and that is, yes. Yeah, I remember you were just like chugging throat coat tea on so much yeah, throat coat. So yeah. And it was like, thankfully, the first couple days of filming, I didn't have like too many lines. And so then my voice like slowly came back as we filmed to the point where I could at least talk because I think the first day I could like barely make any noise. So. That party scene, was that, like, the first thing that you shot? I think so. It was pretty early on. I feel like that was the first day. I think maybe we did, like, the little Lewis scene in the bathroom first, and then we did all the group scenes for that day. Yes. Could tell about something that didn't make the show. There's, we uh, shot this scene to sort of show Lewis's anxiety and just, like, all of the voices in his head, and so we all sort of, like, crammed into and around that very tiny bathroom that you see him getting ready in before the party and we're just whispering anxiety things to him it was a very interesting fun experience i felt a little bad obviously throwing all those little whispers out there but it was very it was very fun very interesting it was just recorded audio and when we edited it in it was like horror film it was like too scary (laughs) it didn't work so it did not make the final cut but somewhere out there there's like a draft you don't belong here anyway, Lewis. That really mean doing the whispers. Yeah. <laughs> I felt bad for him. I liked that you'd built in his anxiety. Again, it's something that you pick up when you rewatch it. When you first watch it, you're just like, oh yeah, he's just a little nervous before going out. He talks to Charlie about his anxiety as well, without giving away any spoilers for people who haven't watched it yet. If you go back and see, you go, oh, that, the depth of it that you don't realize on first watching. There was actually a lot of details when I rewatched these episodes today. It's been a while. But I was like, oh, there's a lot of little details to catch that are going to tie in in season two. Especially, actually, in that vlog episode. There's a lot. How important was it to include diversity? Like, particularly, uh, your character, Charlie, was gender-swapped. In the book, Charlie is Charles mm-hmm. and Mary's husband. And this, she, is Marisol's wife. That was one thing I really appreciated about this series that it's gender swapping, obviously very diverse cast as far as like ethnicity, everything goes as opposed to just having like all white group of people. And then also even a lot of LGBTQ representation as well to take something so classic, but modernize it in a way that makes it so accessible to so many different audiences. I think it's just really great. 
I remember when applying for the role, they had an option of you could choose how you identify as like straight, bi, gay. And for me, it was really interesting. I had like just sort of figured out that I was gay. So it was one of the first times that I actually like put it out there to like people other than just in my circle and marking that. That was really cool for me to like get this chance to not only audition for a role that I was like really interested in and seemed really cool. I love Charlie as a character, but also to be able to tie that into my own queerness and be able to share that. So it was really affirming for you. I don't yeah. think I actually knew that from you. I've heard, yeah. I, I feel like there's a couple cast members with similar stories, but I mm-hmm. don't think I knew that you were on that list. I love that. Particularly for creative arenas, you can bring your whole self to the job. Yes. Yeah. So in the show, Charlie has uh, two siblings. So it was uh, Derek, Stephanie, and myself. And I have this really great memory also from filming in season two, where we were just like in between filming, we're all hanging out on the couch together. And it came up that we're all actually mixed race. So I'm half Korean, half white. And they are both also mixed in different ways. And we just had this like really amazing conversation about what that means. And it's not something I feel like gets talked about too much when you're biracial. So just have that moment of bonding as on-screen siblings, um, but then also actors who are on that journey of discovering that and finding out what that means for us as far as auditioning for roles and all of that was also really cool. Again, you know, the show having such a diverse cast is what allowed us to be in that same place and have that conversation together. Representation. It's a really big thing at the moment in the entertainment industry. Bridgerton, for example, where they did, well, I'm not sure if they did colorblind casting or whether they did they had specific roles that they wanted to be played mm-hmm. by certain races. Yeah, it seems like it might be kind of a mix. And, oh no, I've now forgotten her name. The first Asian identifying actress to win an Oscar recently. Oh, uh, Michelle Yao. Michelle Yao, yes. Yeah. Weirdly, my brother knows her. He worked on a movie with her oh. once. She held That's up the fun. filming for an afternoon so she could meet his newborn son. <laughs> and it cost him oh. like 30 grand. She just wanted to hang out with the baby. What a That's lovely amazing. story. <laughs> yeah. She seems like she's just a lovely person. She seems mm-hmm. so just yeah. great all around. Yeah, I'm really happy for her. It's brought up stories of, oh, I should have done my research before bringing this up. There was a previous Asian um, actress who run Best Actress, but she had been, I, I don't know if you use the term white passing. She was not only mm-hmm. her heritage at the time, but. Yeah, um, and this yeah. is really great and that you're making productions where people can see themselves represented so then they can feel more comfortable being involved in these sort of things themselves and it makes reading even the original text more accessible, I think. Yeah, I think our approach to it has always been Jane Austen wrote stories that reflected the society she lived in, which at the time she probably mostly would have known white middle-class people and people who, at least in society, were straight. I'm sure that there were people who were queer, but it wouldn't have been public knowledge necessarily. So we just felt like, well, the way that we write this now is reflecting the kinds of circles we're in, the way the world looks. And it's not that those people didn't exist during Jane Austen's time, but they weren't visible or maybe she didn't know them or, you know, whatever it was. So they don't appear in her works as much, but we wanted to reflect the current reality 
hopefully we did pretty good. I'm sure there's always ways to keep learning and growing on that, but yeah, it was something we definitely put quite a bit of thought into. Well, I appreciated it. There's a bit where Sophie talks about being, I'm not sure if it's just Arrow or Ace Arrow, and that really hit it for me. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely one that doesn't get a lot of media representation. Hollywood especially is so obsessed with romance and sex that it's like, oh, well, we wouldn't do characters without that. Well, and I think it's good for people to, you know, whether you are one of those identities or not, just see a broader range of types of relationships and be like, friendships can be really important. Familial relationships can be really important. You know, like, not just put like romance on like such a high pedestal that that's like the only way you could be happy in life or whatever. The tagline for the show is fall back in love. My question for both of you, do you think in the series and in the book, if you've read it, that Anna and Fred in the series and Anne and Frederick in the book, do you think they were still in love at the start of it and they just realized it? Or do you think that they fell in love during the course? Got back in love. You're going to make me feel like we did a bad tagline. I'm not thinking about it. I'm like, I don't know if I agree with the tagline now. The back <laughs> is in brackets. So it, you could just remove the oh, back. Maybe the no. back is a question mark. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we put the back in there because it's like, it's catchy. It's like, oh, something happened in the past. You know, they're not just falling in love for the first time. But I do kind of think at the heart of it, they've never were really out of love. I mean, that's an interesting question. I don't know what, like, if you asked the characters in those seven, eight years what they would say, I don't know. But, like, deep down, I kind of feel like they were. Yeah, I can definitely see a part of them always still being in love with the other person. But I feel like you can make an argument for, even if there's a part of you still in love with someone, like, getting back to the, like, depths of it and actually, like, fostering the relationship, I think could be argued as falling back in love because you haven't really cultivated it or done anything with it so there's still new things and work there I, I'm not sure where I land on the side of the argument myself <laughs> I think in the book they're still in love with each other they talk about it but don't realize it and maybe that's kind of what you were saying Jessamyn they don't realize that they're in love yeah in the series I haven't rewatched the whole thing because I want to watch it and keep it fresh for when I do these I'll I might have to come yeah. back to that question. Yeah, now I'm like thinking about it, but I think that at least some part of them always was, and very much was, even if it wasn't always as much being in love, but it was like very hung up on not having like resolved that experience and that relationship at very least. Like it, it feels like, and I think that the way that we set it up, and this is something to dig into more in season two, but like that, that them breaking up was kind of a sticking point for both of them. Like they both kind of got stuck in bad patterns after that and didn't do what they really wanted with their lives. Like it was something that they needed to resolve before they could like move to next chapters. If that makes sense. I like that you had the text pop up in episode four. She texts Marisol to see how party's going and it pops up on the screen. We had fun with that. I think that was a bit of a, having watched a few shows that did it and liked it, uh, Jane the Virgin definitely springs to mind. That was definitely a show that I think all of us creators watched and were big fans of. There's definitely some bits of inspiration from that show in our show. 
as well as kind of a nod to having worked on other web series that did transmedia. So anyone who was familiar with like the whole literary inspired web series movement, um, at which we are very much the tail end, that was definitely kind of a boom that has slowed quite a lot. Yes. A big part of the appeal was that they were vlog style as if the characters were vlogging. And then also a lot of them had characters have social media accounts where it was like, here's so-and-so's Twitter and you can see them interact with other characters. Having little bits texts on screen and stuff like that kind of felt like getting into doing that again. All of us had worked on some very transmedia heavy uh, web series in the past. So it was something we all enjoyed doing. Hazel, who you'll meet eventually here, her first series was a Far From the Many Crowd series. It had videos, but then it had, she had like an entire website set up where you could like scroll through people's phones and be like, this is what's on their camera roll and in their notes app. And like, she did it partly as a university project and it was like very intensive. All four of us, that was the first thing we all four worked on together, did bits and pieces of writing for that. And it was really fun. And I saw on one of your profiles somewhere that you liked Nothing Much To Do. That was a I was a big series. fan of Nothing Much To Do. That was a, a big early one for me, yes. Nothing Much To Do and Autobiography of Jane Eyre was like my first oh, yeah. my first love. I watched Lizzie Bennett, but I watched it kind of right as it was wrapping up. I think I binged it, so I didn't have like the live social media experience as much. And I think just like I really loved the book of Jane Eyre and maybe – because it was in real time, or I just connected with those characters, that was the one for me, and that was very much what inspired me to get into making them, because it was like, oh, anyone with a camcorder and some friends who could act, which I had been in theater in high school, so I had lots of acting friends, could try making one of these, and 10-ish years later, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> was acting something you always wanted to do, Lakeisha? Yeah, it was. I, I think since I was like seven or eight I wanted to do acting I actually grew up overseas so I didn't get tons of opportunities to do it with like in more professional settings or anything but my friends and I would do like stupid skits and make little movies and stuff and I was in all the plays in high school and then um, studied it in college thank you both so much for being my first guests on this series I'm looking forward to meeting your co-creators and co-actors later on Is there anything that you guys are working on at the moment that you'd like to tell people about? Sure. I'm a huge nerd. So I'm actually involved in a uh, D&D Axel play um, over on YouTube. So it's Unfinished Business Afterworld is what you can search on YouTube. And yeah, it's a group of five women um, all just playing D&D in a world that our DM has created. We're playing characters who some of us were in a previous campaign together um, and died in that campaign. But the idea is that we are all characters who are dead and we're in the afterlife trying to figure out how to get back to the world. Interesting. Jasmine, do you have anything you're working on at the moment? We're kind of in between projects. All of us have been taking a little break since this show wrapped up in December. So that feels like it's not that long ago. I guess it's been like four months as of recording this, but we're bouncing around a few ideas that we'll probably start digging into more seriously soon-ish, but yeah, nothing to actually plug at the moment. It's all very, very early stages. We all needed a little rest after 
was a huge amount of work. <laughs> working on the show. A huge, yeah. huge. Please do more Austin. Please. We'll see. It's been talked about. Actors have expressed interest in roles yes, they, they would like to play in Pride and Prejudice, amongst others. Yes, we did. We know. hung out after wrap, and we were all like, so, when, when's the next thing where I'll make it together? <laughs> yeah, you'll have to ask Derek about his legacy. <laughs> he has an entire sequel pitch for Rational Creatures. I think definitely our next projects will be a little smaller scale. The feature-length web series was very intensive to do so we may go for like a podcast or a short film or something a little smaller scale next we'll see but there's lots of ideas if we can make it happen we'd love to work with the same cast again or you know a lot of them as they're available because they were all delightful i feel like every time we bounce around an idea we're like oh and so and so could be in this role you know like it's honestly it was such a great group and i feel like especially coming back for season two i feel like we all just bonded even more Hopefully we get to do more together. Yeah. I totally understand those Hollywood directors that carry the same people from project to project. The runners, I'm like, oh yeah, I get it. I get it. I would do that. I would work with these people for the rest of my life. They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for being here today. And good luck for future endeavors. This has been Lakeisha Julian and Jessamyn Lee. And I am Frances Duncan. Links to our socials are in the notes. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy watching. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!